0: is a file, right? Files on UNIX have no specific format. Nothing is imposed about how they should be, and there's no need to incorporate anything specific for them to be files, there's no file type, all the files are the same. But that's not really true, there are two differentiations. One is at the higher level, a meta level, using mime types, which we discussed in an earlier podcast about default programs. And you can listen to it to get a small overview of that, but today we're going to discuss the other difference, which is at a lower level, about special files. I'm Vinam, and you're listening to The Nixers Podcast. What's a file and what makes a file a special file? A file is defined indirectly by the fact that it's something that is a conduit of information. When reading a file, the information is passed along its associated file descriptor, which is an abstract indicator to access a file or other input-output resources. The file is an abstract resource from which a sequence of bytes is read from or written to. The source and destination of those is unspecified. Those could be... anything. Files are found and tracked on the file system, accessible by the user, and the file system can be considered as a sort of interface that lets you access doors which may lead anywhere, and that's probably one of the key attributes of Unix-based or inspired systems. Most of the time for regular files, those doors lead to the file system driver itself. The files laid on the disk are read by the file system driver that the kernel has loaded to read it. The file system driver reads the zone of the appropriate disk corresponding to the file that is needed. But those doors don't always lead to the file system driver, or the disk. It's not mandatory. There are other ways in which different things can happen. The doors can give a series of bytes which aren't stored on the file system, even though it gives the illusion that it does. In that sense, the rooted file hierarchy of unix can be misleading to those who aren't accustomed to this way of thinking those doors can lead to other drivers and can be handled differently while still keeping the aspect and definition of a file, shown on the file system, can be read or written to and accessible by the user. Everything on Unix is a file. So what are those doors that are used to represent files on the file system? The complex answer is that it varies depending on the file system that is in use and because we're not gonna deal with file systems and this podcast we will try to simplify the explanation. Most file systems agree on a certain structure or at least on, on what a PORSEX interface can expect their driver to return when it asks them about the file. That structure is the INODE or also called VNODE on BSD-derived systems. Understanding the INODE is crucial to understanding certain special files, but keep in mind that not all file systems have inodes, though they do have their equivalents, but we'll ignore this for now. So what's an inode? The inode is a data structure that describes a file system object. It's a description of a file on the file system. However it's not the file itself. And we're going very meta here, but it's not that complicated. It's just that inodes are truly metadata about the files. Here's how the process unfolds Each file has an associated inode. This inode has some metadata in it. One of them is a number, the i number or inode number. All the inode structures are stored inside a specific location on the file system. Each file system has their own way to store that structure, but usually the size of it and the number of inodes, and it are set at the creation time. Thus, there's a maximum limit of files that can be created on a file system. Other than that, there's another structure that stores a table or index of inode numbers associated with the file name. And let's just put it like that for now, for the sake of simplicity, we will return to it later for that structure. Then the kernel can ask the file system driver for an inode number and get back the inode structure. The inode content access the file and sometimes the kernel can even keep track of of the file structure in memory. Let's not dig deeper than that, and let's go directly into what sort of metadata are inside the inode. The inode stores information about file attributes, however, they do not contain the file names or data itself. The file names can only be retrieved from that other index table that associates the name with the inode number. Those inode structures are stored per file system and thus are file system dependent. That means that the same inode numbers can be found on two different file systems. And it would be interesting to do a future podcast about file systems. Now, according to the POSIX standards, the inode stores the following properties on a regular file. The size of the file, the device ID, which contains the file, the user ID of the file owner, the group ID of the file, the file mode, which determines the the file type and how the file owner, its group, etc. Uh, Some flags, some timestamp, and a link counting how many hard links point to the inode, and the pointers to the disk block that stores the file content. Now keep those in mind for now, and let's talk about the direct implication of those. So, a file can have multiple names because multiple names can point to the same inode number. An inode may have no links, and an unlinked file is equivalent to a resource being freed if no processes are currently accessing that inode. The kernel doesn't truly care about file names but more about inode number. Once it has mapped that file name with the inode number, it just discards the file name. And a file inode number stays the same when moved to another directory on the same device. Not a bene here even files that aren't literally on the hard disk like we'll discuss soon have inode numbers and it's for the purpose we mentioned before that we need a representation to the user and the metadata associated with that virtual interface so let's just jump a bit and say that slash dev slash null does have an idle number for example. And the relevant Commands related to inodes are stat, which returns the inode information, which also has a symmetrical system call under the same name, and you can list the file's inode number using the ls with ls with the dash -i command. Now that it's out of the way, we can start dealing with special files. There are seven types of special files, and they are directory, symbolic link, hard link, named pipe, socket, device file, and door. And you can see them by typing ls l and looking at the first letter of the permission field, or by issuing the stat command and looking at those same bits and the access part. Now let's deal with them in order. Directories are specified by the D character in the access field. Remember that structure we said associated names with EINOLD numbers? Well, it's the directory, and that structure is called the D entry, or directory entry. It's what keeps the relation between a directory and the file it contains. And when the file system driver searches for file name, it searches recursively inside of them. Think of it like pointers. When you issue a comment to get the current working directory, it has, if not cached, to walk backward from one directory parent to another until it reaches the root directory. In that D entry, other than listing its children, it also has an entry for itself and its parent. That explains how the recursive backward search is possible. On a lower level, the way a directory is implemented depends on the file system and the operating system. In general, they are just a stream of bytes that contains the list we mentioned, it's literally there on the file system and thus is not so special. However, they they simply can't be read like the other normal files. Historically, in vintage unixes, directories were treated more or less like normal files marked as directories on the on disk inode. That meant you could open a directory like any other file and parse its content to get back the dentry entry structure. In the v7 Unix days the structure was so simple programs could parse it themselves. Starting from BSD the file name length limit was extended and to save disk space they gave directory entries variable length objects. Because yes, directories have a size and it's the size of the d entries this made parsing the structure more complex, and thus they added to the C library a function to do it for you, but still the directory was considered like a normal file, open and read one entry at a time. The transition was introduced by Sun, which thought that this way of reading entries wasn't fit and efficient enough to their needs, and thus they implemented a getdir entries system call that would return the directory entries back according to the file system format. But again, the directory could still be opened like a normal file. BSD 4.4 caught up with the Sun and also implemented their own get directory entries in an actual system call instead of having that other call and the C library. Some other point in time Linux took an extra step and forbade reading on directories to force you to use the system calls to return the entries. All of that was great because now you can't accidentally cat a directory and get all sorts of random gibberish back and you can't accidentally override the directory content. This feature then spread across the board and that's why directories are considered special files.
1: Symbolic links are specified by the L character in the axis field. Hard links are not specified by any character in the axis field. You can create those links using the LN command, adding the S flag for symbolic link and omitting it for hard links. So what are those? Both seem like references to files, but are they? Let's start with symbolic links. According to Wikipedia, a symbolic link is, or also called, a symlink or softlink, is the nickname for any file that contains a reference to another file or directory in the form of absolute or relative path and that affects path name resolution. But what does that mean? A symbolic link is a special file that returns only a single string of text representing the location of its target the other file it points to. It stores it as a name and not as an inode, and the name can be relative to the path it's living in. When operations are performed on symlinks, it's as if it's implied that they are done on the name that the symlink points to, meaning that the operating system will search for the path specified in it. However, both files are totally independent. Thus, if the file it's pointing to is moved, the symbolic link isn't and might point to a non-existent file. We call those broken or or orphaned or dead or dangling links. And the permission of a symbolic link doesn't have anything to do with the target and is only related to the renaming and removal of that symlink. There's also the issue that symbolic links break the tree-shaped hierarchy of Unix-like systems. For example, you can have a cyclic directory. Historically, symlinks were introduced, and 4.2bsd unix from UC Berkeley. Again, just like directories, symlinks were first regular files that simply contain the textual representation or, or reference to the link target, plus being ne- marked as link on the on-disk inode. And just like the method with directory, which was slow and inefficient, Because it used disk space on small systems, symlinks needed improvement. This improvement was called fast symlinks, which introduced storing the target link inside the inode structure. The downside is that fast symlinks only work for paths that don't exceed the inode space. For longer paths, symlinks fall back to the slow symlink on disk. Fast symlinks are not truly faster, but only save disk space because the kernel still has to query the file system driver for the inode related to that file, file name. Just like directories, symlinks do have a size if it's not a fast symlink, and it's exactly the size of the number of characters and the path it points to. And POSIX doesn't require anything special for symlink implementation, but the majority of POSIX-like systems use the method we mentioned with fast links and fallbacks. So a symbolic link is like an alias. What about hard links? Hard links are easy to understand if you've got the part about inodes and directories. They're not truly special files. Hard links are simply directory entries. They are the association between a name and an inode. All files have at least one directory entry, and thus all files must have at least one hard link. But here's the catch. That also means that a file may have multiple hard links, and that's exactly like giving multiple names to the same file. Like we said previously about inodes, if no names point to the inode, the last link is removed, then the file is considered removed and the data freed. Remember we said that the inode contains an attribute that counts the number of hard links pointing to it. We call the process of removing a entry unlinking. Directories are also files and thus the issue that arises is how to manage hard links to directories. If allowed this would create loops acyclic graphs inside the file system and confuse it. For example, what if a directory was its own parent? This would lead to an infinite recursion. For this reason, on most of today's Unix-like systems, creating hard links to directories is forbidden, while again on the original Unix System 5, they were allowed, but only with root permission. In a small notabene about hard links, the maximum number of hard links to a single file is limited by the size of the reference counter inside the inode structure, which is way more than enough on 32 and 64-bit systems. Also, stemming from its definition, hard links can only be done on the same file system. The command used to show the number of links to a file is the stat command or the ls with the dash l flag. Named pipe are denoted by the p-character in the access field. A named pipe, or also called a fifo, first-in-first-out, is a file used for enter-process communication that works just like the unix pipe concept, but passing through a file. It's an extension of the traditional unix pipe. While the traditional pipe is unnamed and disappears as soon as the process finishes, the named pipe is a file that can be reused. A process connects on one end to send input through the pipe, and another process connects to the other end to receive it. This allows for transfer of information in a pipeline manner through processes that don't share the same parent. Named pipes are special in the sense that they're not really files on the disk, but all the stream of data moves in a first-in, first-out manner, and thus have to be distinguished from really regular files. Named pipes are useful for transferring a large amount of information from one application to another without the use of, in- of intermediary temporary files. Notably, the SIGPIPE signal is sent when the transfer of this information is suddenly interrupted. However, they're a bit of a relic of the past and are largely disfavored for named socket instead. And we'll see in the next section about this. The related command to create named pipes are the mknode on older systems and MKV4 on newer ones. Sockets are specified by the S character in the axis field. Just like named pipe, they're used for interprocess communication. The difference is that while named pipes are unidirectional, sockets are full duplex. Sockets are a big name, there are many types of sockets, and the ones we're talking about here that are special files are the unix domain sockets only. This is done by specifying the family af unix when creating the socket. The API for all sockets are pretty similar, but instead of passing through a network, it passes entirely through the operating system. The file that is created for the Unix domain socket is used as the address namespace if two processes open the same inode, that is, a socket. Those sockets support two ways of transmission, one that is reliable, just like named pipes, and two others ordered and relay a reliable transmission. Of datagrams and unordered and unreli- unreliable transmission of datagram. The first one, the first ones are comparable to TCP, and the last one to UDP. Other than sending data through the socket, file descriptors can also be sent, which allow a process on the other end of the socket to manipulate a file it may not already have access to. Historically, yet again, it's from the BSD lineage that we got the good stuff. They created sockets which, with the aim of having a way to encapsulate access to data networks. A bidirectional stream. common wise, there are no specific command that creates a socket, but let's just say that Netcat has an option to create so- Unix sockets. <laughs> Device files are specified by the C for character devices and B for block devices. The special thing about device files is that they are not handled by the file system driver, but by other specific appropriate driver for every one of them. What the device does with the data is its own business. A lot of the time, it's a communication that happens with a piece of hardware. The kernel allocates the resource for those so-called device nodes and identifies them by a major and minor number, both of those numbers being stored in an INODE attribute for the device type. What's important to know is that, like the name of a file is unimportant to the kernel but the INODE is, the meaning of a device file is not determined by its name nor by its INODE number but by those major and minor numbers. Generally, the major number identifies the driver to use, and the minor number identifies the device that the driver controls. The driver itself only cares about the minor number. You can check those numbers using the ls with the "-l"-flag and find them where the file size usually is, or you can use the stat command as usual. Almost all the files under /dev are device files, so you can try that out there. Slash dev may be a devfs, a d- specific implementation of a device file system where devices can be dynamically shown without being physically stored. However, that's not the subject for this po- podcast. Before digging into the differences between a character device and block device, let's say that even though the names of the device files under slash devs are not really their true meaning, there are still name conventions for common device files. So what's a block device file? The answer isn't straightforward, because the distinction between a block and character device is not completely universal. Usually a block device behaves like a regular file. They are an array of bytes, so that means that you can read at any location and write to any location on it, but you know that the last place you wrote at, you're going to be able to read the value you just inserted there. Another thing that is specific to it is that the operating system can cache or buffer those operations to flush them later on. Block devices are things like disk, which behaves like large files, fixed size files, that means you can typically read big blocks of any size, that's where the name stems from. Now, what's confusing is that many Unix-like operating systems create both block and character devices that represent hardware-like hard disk. They expose two interfaces. But FreeBSD and Linux notably do not. The former has removed support for block devices, while the later create only block devices for hard disk. Then what's the character device then? It's also hard to say. Simply said, it's everything else. Behavior-wise, they act like pipes or serial ports. Writing to them is an immediate action, and you may have no clue what happens to what you sent. It's not buffered. It might produce sound or display something on the screen, for instance. And when it comes to reading character device, uh, spur characters individually, and that's where the name stems from. But that's also blurry, because it's not mandatory. For instance, the character device for a hard disk will require that all is read and written uh, and aligned blocks boundaries and it won't allow reading a single byte by itself. To avoid confusion some refer to character devices as raw devices instead. Let's note that not all devices under slash dev are physical devices. They can be virtual instead and usually if the driver is one it means that it's virtual. Notable examples of that are slash dev slash null, slash dev slash zero slash dev slash full slash dev slash random or urandom slash dev slash stdn etc etc the related comments for the device special files are the following you can use mknot to create new device files and you can use the copy with the dash l flag to copy device nodes on older unixes you may use even make dev to fill up the slash dev directory with the necessary devices and you can also use lsmod on Linux to list all loaded modules or even check them in slash proc slash devices and slash proc slash modules. The last of those special files is the door specified by the uppercase D character in the access field. This special file is specific to Solaris and is used for interprocess process communication and the client-server scenario. And that's all I'm gonna say about it. So this is all about the f- special files. We went through many subjects and just scratched the top of them. And so as usual, you can always refer to the show notes for more, inform- for more information. So you can dig into your own research. And if you find anything useful or anything to correct, you can discuss it in the extended thread on the forums. And thanks as always for listening. This was Veena for the Nixers podcast. (laughs)